what the Lord can make out of broken pieces. What the Lord can make, what the Lord can build, what the Lord can recreate out of broken pieces. And the praise is yours, the praise is yours, the praise is yours. You know, that, that is one of the common bonds, I think, that we share as Alamo City family. We understand what it is to be broken. Various ways, various kinds and means of the Lord breaking us down. Some it is our own fault. Some it is what has happened to us with no fault of our own necessarily, but broken by the consequences that we find ourselves in or circumstances. But then another thing that draws us together, that makes us glad to see each other, is when we look at each other, we're realizing once was broken, but look at that life now. Look at what the Lord's doing through that life now. And the praise is yours, the praise is yours. We turn another page today in this matter of trust. The Lord Jesus saying to us, his people, trust me. Trust me. Not necessarily trust me for, but trust me in. Trust me in the middle of whatever it is you're walking through. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. So how about this? Trust me when you're caught up in somebody else's storm. Trust me when you're caught up in somebody else's storm. That could be by way of marriage. That could be by way of a particular company that you work for. That could be by way of the influence of people upon your life, maybe family connections or old friends from the past, something. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says this. Now, don't, you don't need to turn there. Just, just let me quote it because we're going somewhere else this morning. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, God is not mocked. For whatever a man or woman, a person, for whatever a person sows, that he shall reap. It is as if from that verse that the Lord is tying his honor to the law of the harvest. You'll not make a mockery out of God. God is not mocked, and here's how you know that. Because whatever a man or a woman sows, that and that in particular is what that one will reap. So if you happen to be married to somebody who has sown, has sown a harvest, sowing seeds that are destructive seeds, that are, that are not healthful seeds, then it is only a matter of time before that harvest is going to come back. If you're, if you're in a company, if you're employed, it's your place to work, and some way or another, leadership has just been sowing bad seed. It helps put your milk in, in the refrigerator and you know, gas in your car. But whenever the time comes 
for the harvest to come in, if that's where you get your paycheck, you can be caught up in somebody else's storm. Now, does that mean that it's the end of it for us? Is that, how could we just live in paranoia? The antidote, thank the Lord, for the law of the harvest is one word, mercy. The mercy of God, Elias, that word in the New Testament, means the power of God being dispatched to reverse, to eliminate, to neuter the consequences of sin. When Bartimaeus cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He was not saying, Jesus, please pity me. Jesus, please give me a handful of bread. He was saying, Jesus, will you do such a work of power that the consequences of sin from wherever it came from that's manifesting itself in my life in blindness, would you cause your power, the power of your mercy, to be so great in my life that I would get sight back to my eyes, that I won't have to live the rest of my life under the consequences of some harvest from somebody or some situation. Trust me, when you're caught up in somebody else's storm, to grow up in a home where the, the marriage just, the mom and dad, just, it just blows up. It's just, it's just not there. And it may be because one or the other of the parents, your parents, We're sowing some seed that resulted in a bad harvest coming back in. Where where does that leave you as a child in a home like that? Jesus says, I believe, speaking it right into our hearts, right into the place where we would need to feel it the most. Trust me. When you're caught up in somebody else's Book of Daniel. Would you find your way to the book of Daniel? I'll just need to let you know as we begin, we're probably not going to finish this one today. We're headed toward the fiery furnace, but I'm just pretty confident that we won't be able to make it past about the second chapter, and the fiery furnace is the third chapter. This is a story of four young men who represent perhaps thousands of others, but four whose names are written in the Bible, who were caught up in somebody else's storm. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And then look at verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he, Nebuchadnezzar, brought them to the land of Shinar, back to Babylon, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. And we just we need to stop there for a minute. That would be as if some nation in the world, 
an enemy to the United States of America, suddenly conquers this nation. Let's just say it's China. Strong military, nuclear arsenal, interballistic capabilities, and the United States of America fell. Washington was sacked, but more particularly, where you live down your street in San Antonio, the enemy came, and the enemy pillaged, burned, raped, stole, destroyed on every level. And you were left. But you weren't going to be allowed to stay here in this home of your ruins any longer. You were going to be kidnapped and taken back to Beijing, taken back to some province of China. A culture totally foreign to you, a language that seemed indescribably strange, You didn't ask to be taken. It just happened to you. That is the story, that is the plight of four young men in Jerusalem, taken from Jerusalem in this story. The Lord gave permission to Nebuchadnezzar to do something that no other king in the history of Israel had ever been able to do, and that was to breach the walls of Jerusalem, sack the city, pillage the temple, and haul off captives. It's the same place that these words were spoken out of Second Chronicles, chapter 7. If I can find Second Chronicles, chapter 7. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's palace and successfully completed all that he had just planned on doing in the house of the Lord and in his palace. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes shall be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there forever. And as for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, even to do according to all that I have commanded you, and you will keep my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with your father David, saying, you shall not lack a man to be ruler in Israel. But if you turn away, you or any of your descendants on the throne, turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and you shall go and serve other gods and worship them then I will uproot you from my land, which I have given you 
And this house which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight, and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all the peoples. As for this house which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? And they will say, Because they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them from the land of Egypt, and they adopted other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this adversity on them. The law of the harvest. Caught up in somebody else's storm. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego evidently were godly young men. Some way or another in the middle of all the other moral garbage that was going on around them in Judah at that day, some way or another there was still a family that taught their children the Bible. Some way or another there was a family that taught folks how to pray and encourage walking after the Lord, even though there was all kinds of junk going on everywhere else in the culture. They were taught up to know the word, and they were taught up to look to the Lord, brought up to look to the Lord. But when the harvest came back in, when the seeds that had been sown by the government and by the religious leaders in Judah, turning away from the one true and living God and just, just, just flying in the face through their actions of everything that, that the Lord stood for and had called them to be unique in this world, people of God instead of the people of the nations around them. When the harvest came back in, these four young men were caught up in the harvest from the seeds that they never sowed. As a result of it, they felt the effects of the judgment. When, when, the, when the land was invaded and the city was taken and they were taken captive, it wasn't anything that they had done, but they were feeling the consequences brought about by the choices that other people had made. Okay, that's the downside. What's the upside? The upside is that God knows who you are. God knows your heart. And the heart that he has for you is a heart of mercy. And it is not just sympathy and it's not just soft, kind words. It is a mercy that has hands. It is a mercy that has the voice of authority. It is a mercy that has power to do whatever needs to be done to secure your future, to preserve your present, and to take you into the fulfillment of the promises that God has in mind for you to walk in. Trust me, even when you're caught up in somebody else's storm. We learn some things and some very powerful, eye-opening, life-changing things that can rescue us and keep us in the path we need to be walking by observing the ones around us. And when the harvest comes in, we know what they chose. Maybe not all the details, but there's an understanding that wasn't God. They weren't looking for God. They weren't pursuing God. They were whatever it was they were doing. So whatever is coming in now, it's just a result of what they chose. Therefore, I'm not choosing that. The problem is, the Scripture says, that the sins of the fathers are often repeated generation after generation after generation after generation until somebody in one of those generations rises up and says, this is the law of the harvest. 
God's honor is tied to a harvest coming in based upon the seeds that have been sown. So the way I'm, I'm determined to stop this bad harvest coming in on my family line by starting with me to sow the right seeds. Seeds that honor him that would evoke the blessing of God instead of the discipline of God. God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, that's what the one will reap. Remember, the harvest never comes in the next day. The harvest doesn't often come in in several weeks. It can be months. But when it's this kind of harvest, it can be years. It can be decades. But God's nature is tied to the reality of the harvest coming in. And the only thing that will avert that, the only thing that has the hope of altering it, is the mercy of God upon a life. I would say, Lord, have mercy upon me. Somewhere in this, in this story with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there was an understanding that came to them, I believe, somehow, some way, that these were choices. These were, these were the consequences of choices that had been made by people around them. They were caught up in it. But here's what you can do, folks. When things don't go your way, when it seems like it's taken a bad turn, and, and even in this case where they, had, they knew that, that, that they'd been taught to pray and to ask God to protect them and to deliver them, and, and here they are, been taken captive and hauled off to another country, you, you, you could see them drawing the conclusion, why would I even trust God? If he couldn't stop this, how can I trust him? But I'm going to tell you, God has a way of helping his people. Those who have a heart for him, he, he has a way of giving us enough of an understanding of the why that it doesn't demolish our trust to be able to see this is just the law of the harvest coming in. It, it didn't have, the seeds didn't have to be sown to result in this kind of thing, but it has happened, and this isn't God's fault. What you can do when you're caught up in something like this is you, you, can, you can just give up on God or you can trust him more. The reason would be all kinds of reason to just give up on him. But somewhere down in Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel's heart was something that went off in them. That wasn't God's fault. That wasn't the absence of God's love. It's the law of the harvest coming in. And we're asking you, Lord, to have mercy on us in the middle of these consequences that we find ourselves in. And I'm telling you what, folks, when you read the book of, book of Daniel, you find two or three striking examples of how God showed his mercy. He manifested his presence. He did some things for these young men, and Daniel is an older man in the lion's den that had never been done before. Never been done before. Well, these men were taken. These young men were taken. Verse 3, Daniel 1, verse 3. Then the king ordered one of his officials to bring in some of the sons of Israel including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom there was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him, the king ordered this official to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a day, a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank. And he appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them were the sons of Judah, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the commander gave them different names, Babylonian names, Belteshazzar to Daniel, 
Shadrach, he called Hananiah. Uh, Mishael, he called Meshach. Um, Azariah, he called Abednego. Given different names, didn't understand the language, didn't know the street address, had no knowledge of history, no knowledge of government, no knowledge of writings, no knowledge of anything. And the God that they had been told they could count on is the God who, for whatever reason, lifted his protection. Their hometown was sacked, their nation was destroyed, their king was taken captive, and they're hauled off against their will, in a very real sense, to a strange land. But in that strange land, they found that they were not absent from the God in whom they had put their trust. Folks, listen, this is an important principle with the Lord. He seems to to be determined to cause us to understand as his children that he knows no geographical boundaries. Just because it's not your home or just because it's not your home state or just because it's not a familiar culture does not mean that he isn't right there in the middle of it with everything you're going to need to be preserved and even to prosper. Verse 8. Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. And so he sought permission for that to be passed on, for them to just eat vegetables and drink water. Think about that. Verse 12, please test your servants for 10 days and let us become, let us be given vegetables to eat, water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed. And then you deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them. The official listened to them and tested them for 10 days. At the end of that time, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter. How can you get fat on vegetables is what I would like to know. You know, you know. Seemed, they seemed healthier, seemed better, and they were fatter, and, and that all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer let them continue to do that for the three-year duration, evidently. Now look at verse 17. And as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. I'm going to give you three synonyms for the word intelligence. This is, for the Hebrew word translated in English, intelligence could also be understanding, insight, intellectual comprehension. God gave them intellectual comprehension. God gave them insight. God gave them understanding. That meant that he gave them the ability not just to memorize not just to parrot back on a fill-in-the-blank test, but he gave them the ability to understand a culture that they had never been a part of. He gave them the ability to have insights into a language that was not their primary language. He gave them the ability to have such a mastery of all things Babylonian that they would be as fully equipped, if not more equipped, than their other Babylonian counterparts who would be jockeying for the same kinds of job. Where are they? They're not in Jerusalem. Where's mama? She ain't around. Where's grandmother? Where's granddaddy? Where are the uncles and aunts? Where are the old homeboys? Nowhere to be found. Nobody there but God himself. And what they needed, caught up in a storm that was not theirs of the making, what they needed, God saw to it that they would have. I'm telling you, stop the whining. Stop the complaining. Remind me, Shirley, that I said this. Will you, this next week. 
belly aching, staring at our navel. Oh, poor me. Oh, this is awful. Oh, I can't do it. All this, the decks have just been stacked against me. This is the cards I've gotten. It's awful. It's pitiful. I'm nothing. You are that if you choose to stay there. But you understand? The mercy of God taps into all of the resources of the vast array of God's riches to pull them together into the specifics of what you, his child, caught up in a storm, not of your making, but God still having a purpose and a plan for your life and a destiny for you that will not be shut down and stopped by anything that anybody else or the devil himself can do. But you got to let it in. You got to let it in. We, we're prone to want to blame everybody else and their dog and their cat and their hamster. Well, it was their fault. It was their fault. I'm crippled because of this. I can't do it because of that. You don't find that in the attitude of these four. They could have said, I don't know anybody. I can't understand what they're trying to tell me. I don't know, sick them from come here and back in Chaldean. I think I'll just, I'll just go find my little self, just, 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 just hide out, just be, be somewhere, just try to be as inconspicuous until I die. You could have that attitude if there is no trust in the one who called you to himself, who knows that there are things going on around your life that are yours that come upon you, because they're, but they're not of your making his mercy is rich. His power is great. His knowledge knows no surprises. And if your destiny is to be in some place you've never been before, looking at people you've never seen before, doing things you've never tried before, but you were there because the Lord in his plan has allowed you to be there, then count on his mercy to show up. Count on his provision to be there in your time of great need. And I'm going to tell you, it's not about just surviving. It's not about just making it. It's not about just mumbling through life here. God was doing something then. Picked these four young men out, pulled them into what perhaps could have been the most powerful nation of the world, stands them face to face before probably the most powerful man in the world, gives them the ability to say what they needed to say in a way that he could understand, communicate to him in such a way that they felt like he felt like they had a grasp of every subject he threw out. So they were picked, and they were elevated, and they were given places of prominence because of what God gave them that they didn't have without. All right, let me get off on this a minute. Let me just chase this rabbit a minute. Please, please, please stop thinking that God is only interested in you when you're sitting in a church house. Or God only is interested in your life when you're surrounded by Christian people. Oh, God is only really paying attention to you when you're praising or you're reading the Bible. All of those things are wonderful. And all of those things are important. Where they are genuinely a part of you, then there's the life of the Lord in them. But folks, this is halftime. This is halftime. The real game, the real life, is outside the walls of the church. And if this doesn't say anything else to us, it, it presses this home again. The Lord is interested in business. The Lord is interested in intellectual faculties and properties. The Lord is interested in talents and capacities that you may not even known that you had, but because you're in a situation that challenges you, you're realizing you don't have it, and if I'm going to get it, it's going to have to come from somebody other than me. So it's the Lord. God gave them the ability to learn stuff. God gave them ability, the ability not just to be familiar with general facts and broad categories, but he gave them the ability to have insight into such. I love this verse. 19, Daniel 1, 19. And the king talked with them at the end of three years. 
And out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. And as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in his realm. Zodiates translates it in this fashion. And as for every matter of interest that the king brought up, Daniel and these three young men had a solid grasp of every issue and matter the king presented. That meant they had to be fluent in the Babylonian language. That meant they had to be able to reach back into history and trace certain events. In fact, whatever he would pull up, whatever category it would be, because he was going to pick them to be as if, as it were, personal assistance to him. They needed to be knowledgeable, but they all, he also needed to get from them some way that they could be trusted, that they wouldn't be traitors and stabbing him, literally, when he turned his back. And there wasn't one subject that he brought up that they didn't have a grasp of. Where are they? They're not in Jerusalem. They're not in their home. Their home doesn't even exist. Jerusalem is in shambles. They're in a completely different foreign place. The religion had nothing to do with the worship that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had taught the people. Foreigners, perverse, all manner of opposites, and yet in the middle of that place, the Lord speaking to their hearts and teaching them, trust me. Trust me when you've been caught up in a storm that was not yours to make. I will not just be with you to enable you to survive, but I will be with you in order to provide for you that which is necessary for you to prosper in this place. It was going to be 70 years of the Babylonian captivity before they would be released. The Jews could begin to go back to Jerusalem. And in that place, during that time, for at least the years that are referenced in these four men's lives, God was blessing them. God was blessing them. You see, folks, many times, if not most of the time, the Lord is going to show us not how he can get us out of something or how he can stop something from happening, but he's going to show us how he has the power to get us through something. He can stop it. He can rescue us. But sometimes it is his choice. It is his plan there's the mercy of God all over it and the power of God filling it up. He wants to take us through. They got thrown in the fiery furnace. God didn't stop them from being thrown in the fiery furnace. We'll get to that next week. Daniel wasn't stopped. He wasn't protected from being thrown into the lion's den. The worst nightmare happened. But God brought them through it, through it, through it. So what storm have you been caught up in that was not your doing? Somebody else's storm that you've been caught up in. Don't give up. Don't give up on God. You, you, you say, he, he could have stopped it. He could have, he could have stopped it. 
but he will not violate his character, his nature. And what we can't see is that in the connections and the relationships, situations that we find ourselves in, a part of a system or a part of a person's life or whatever, closely, organically connected. And God's doing something. He, he's working some things in their lives or, or they're just still running. They're, just, they're, just, they're just, just, just turning their back on God. And they've sowed and they've sowed and they've sowed. The harvest is coming in. God said, I will not be mocked. You won't mock me. The harvest will come in. The bunch of us in this room, we just, well, we've done that for years of our lives. So what hope is there for us? Here's what it is. It's the mercy of God. It's the mercy of God. The antidote to the judgment of God is the mercy of God. That, Lord, I deserve it. I, I did all this. I said all that. I spent all my time and money and so chasing that. Bad seeds. Harvest is coming in. Harvest. Oh, God. I see it for what it was. I ask you to forgive me. Please, let the blood of Jesus cleanse me from that sin. Have mercy on me, Lord. Have mercy on that. I could go row by row in this room this morning and a bunch of folks who are listening to us online be able to say that. It was mercy that stopped it. It was mercy that rewrote my life. I should still be living in the smothering consequences of harvest that comes in, but the Lord in his mercy has brought peace to my soul and has settled some things out that could be still warring factions against my peace and against my life now. That's when it is something that we've done. But folks, if, if, you had, if you had somebody that you were close to, maybe a father, maybe a mother, somebody, and, and it just seems as if a tidal wave of sorrow and sadness came rushing in upon your life because of when you realize it, not what you did but because of choices that they made. Hear this. Hear this. The harvest from what they have sown, that you may be to a degree caught up, to a degree caught up in, does not mean that you are guilty of the sins that they committed, that you were the guilty one in sowing the seed. God knows the truth. He knows the truth, and he knows who you are and where you are, and he knows his plan for you. Trust him. I believe he's saying that to us today. Trust me. Trust me. When you're caught up in somebody else's storm, Nothing that Daniel and these three young men could have done themselves to stop what came upon them. It was a part of the harvest. But the harvest came in and they were taken to another area, another place, another home. But even there, God had, that, that's why they're in the Bible. If they had just been four good little Hebrew boys in a neighborhood in, you know, western Jerusalem or something, we'd have never heard of them. But we hear about them because even when they were taken where they didn't want to be, as a result of consequences caused by others that they had nothing to do with the choices who made them, they chose to trust. And as they trusted, God made his presence known to them and his power known to them. I don't know that it's any truer here in San Antonio than it is in other places. But sometimes it seems as if because we can look in the rearview mirror and realize that my family wasn't this, or my family was this, or my and individuals that you could name and pick out, 
It's as if those things become some kind of supernatural shadow that imposes itself over the individual. That because they were, and that happened, and that's how we've always been, then that's how I just have to be. You can believe that, or you can trust Jesus. You can believe that you're doomed to that kind of destiny, to just repeat what has always gone on before, or to live beneath the consequences, the humiliated consequences of something that has happened. Or you can realize that before God, you're not guilty of anybody else's sin but your own. And there's mercy for those sins. There's freedom from those sins. That we can live above that which has come behind us and exist behind us. Trust me. Trust me, when you're caught up in somebody else's storm. I believe in this room today and listening through various means today, there are some folks who need to receive this day the mercy of God, the mercy of God in the face of seeds that you've sown. And there's a sense in hearing this and just even looking at your life that there's stuff coming back, there's stuff coming back. I can't keep out running it. It's catching up with me. And God says, it will. You'll never outrun the harvest. It will catch you. The hope is to turn my heart to Jesus. Lord, forgive me. I'm wrong. I was wrong. Forgive me. Forgive me. I'm sorry. Forgive me, Lord. The best I can, I put my trust in your blood on the cross as payment for those sins. Sowing those sorry, rotten, hellish death seeds in the lives of people and what I said and the choices that I made and all that stuff. I'm asking for your mercy. You remember when David, when it dawned on him that he had, he had committed adultery, killed the woman's husband, had her killed, and all that, and he tried to hide it for a year, and the harvest came in on his soul, on his spirit. And then he began in Psalm 51 to say against you and you only, Lord, have I sinned and done what is evil. And, and then he just, I cast myself upon the mercy of God. I cast myself upon the mercy. God, have mercy. Folks, listen. There is a cry, there is a prayer that stops heaven, that gets the heart of the Lord's attention more than anything else. It's when that prayer from Bartimaeus, we repeat from our own experience in the middle of our own life, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Mercy me. You, you, you pray that when you're caught up in somebody else's storm because you're, you're in the middle of circumstances that are bigger than what you, you knew that you could have created, but you don't know what to do next. You don't know where to go next. Lord, have mercy on me. And even down to giving you the ability to learn foreign languages and comprehend cultural obscurities, strange to you, but known to him that he's able to fill you, to flood you with what is necessary for you to walk on, fulfilling the plan of God for your life and never have to look to the rearview mirror and be concentrating on what's back there. It's today. It's now. It's at hand. It's his presence. He's giving me what I need. He's giving me what I need. Don't you look a good opportunity in the face and 
say, well, I'm not capable of that, and I don't know why they picked me, and I don't think I ought to try that. I'd probably fail. What if the Lord has that door opening for you right now? Somebody's in here considering something that is an option maybe being given to you, and you but you're just thinking that's beyond me. I could never do it. I don't know. I need to just, I'll just stick with what I'm doing. I'll just keep my nose to the grindstone right here, just right here. This is what I'll do. What if that had been the attitude of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel? They trusted the Lord to give them what they needed for the fresh assignment, for the rest of the story about their lives. And that's why we read about them in the Bible, is that they dared to trust him. They dared to trust him. Lord, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you for everybody who's here. I thank you for the privilege and the blessing of being able to be in your presence. And I ask you to press your word closely and warmly into our hearts. That your truth, would hear your truth about us, the truth about your heart, the truth about what you're able to do when we may find ourselves caught up in a storm that is somebody else's storm, realizing that you are bigger than whoever that person was, you are bigger than whatever the consequences of that storm may ever be, you are God. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. You can't ever be surprised. You can't ever be overwhelmed. You can't ever be confused. You will never leave me. You will never forsake me. And you are in the process of causing all things to work together for good. Because I love you, Lord. Not perfect. But I love you, and I know I'm called according to your purpose. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.